morning's scripture for our sermon is from Luke 24. It is the road to Emmaus. So hear the word of God for us this morning. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses, and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus, and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, Stay the night with us, since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. It's a pretty amazing story. It's one of my favorites in all of scripture. And this morning I'd like to talk about how through this story, we can explore making space for God and what gets in the way of that. So my dog's life, his name's Roscoe, and Julius documented him on her YouTube channel, which is called Delightful Paws, and you can subscribe today. <laughs> <laughs> but over the past month, um, he's had quite a journey. And he has every reason, I think, to claim at the dog insurance company disloyalty, abandonment, and even neglect. What? Well, March 8th, we left for Hawaii for two weeks, right? So, good place. He went to my parents' house, and my mom's lap one of his favorite places on earth. So, he did okay there. Then we came back, and of course, he was thrilled to see us, right? So then, four days later, I left for a week for helping to lead a retreat down in Georgia. I came home, and of course, he's thrilled to see me. After a weekend of that, I left again for three days. And I'm the alpha, and you know, just because I don't know why, but he sees me as the alpha. Though. So I leave for three days. Again, I come home, and he's thrilled, thrilled to see me again. Then Julia had 
all-Eastern band in New York, so we left for four days. And uh, while we're gone, my mom's in the hospital, my dad's visiting her, he's over at their house, so their neighbor comes over and helps take care of them, right? He makes a new friend. Anyway, when we come home, again, he's thrilled to see us, right? Dogs are like that, or can be like that. Right. Thankfully, he didn't eat anything in the house or, you know, destroy anything, but... Um, and Roscoe did not file any claims at the dog office with us for neglect, <laughs> abuse, or abandonment, right? He simply made space for us. I think that's why we love animals that love us, right? They just make space for you, right? They can annoy us and pester us and plague us, but in the end, they make space for us. And Roscoe also made space for my dad and my mom and my mom and my parents' neighbors and anybody else that comes along, right? <laughs> I think this story helps us to see a little bit like, how can we become more like Roscoe and make space for God in our life in the same way? Because often, when we experience hardship in this world, much like these two disciples did, it crowds out that space. And we tend to have a different posture towards God. So this journey of these two disciples, some believe, um, and I kind of go with this, but that they're a married couple. So Cleopas is named, the male is named, the female is not named in this, don't know why exactly, but um, the reality is they invite him into their home, right? So two single guys back then would be unlikely to have that kind of an arrangement. It's much more likely that it was a married couple inviting Jesus at the end of the journey into their home for hospitality. I never knew that. Yeah, so these are two disciples of Jesus. And they're reporting, just again, they're reporting, this is Luke. They're reporting the story to Jesus later. And who's the first apostle, right? It's a woman as well. So in a way, Luke is actually helping to lift up through this story, I believe, um, some of these dynamics that were going on very early in the post-resurrection time. Um, I won't dive into the question today about kind of the mysteries of how we handle suffering and God and the question of evil and good and all that. But that actually was on these two disciples' hearts. Right? Mm -hmm. They were grieving. Yeah. They were grieving in a real way. Could you imagine following somebody, like pouring your life into somebody, believing so wholeheartedly this was the one, and then watching what just happened over the course of that day? Getting arrested, beaten, absolutely bloody. The worst kind of possible death that you can imagine for somebody. Public, shameful, humiliating, and utterly, completely cutting out from underneath. Uh, these disciples any sense of hope. And so they're holding that in their hearts, and now they're leaving Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the upper room was. Uh, it's, uh, the, and that, that room likely, according to tradition, was John Mark's mother's house. So the Mark that wrote the Gospel, likely it was the house in Jerusalem, which was fairly well-to-do. That hope that was kind of the home base for Jesus and the disciples when they were in the city. And so these two are leaving that location. So there's something about that, that soon after this, three days, three and a half days later, they're leaving. So you wonder if they're giving up. We don't know for sure. But they're leaving the company of disciples that are still there. And on their way, they're talking about everything that happened. And Jesus shows up, disguised. We don't know why. Incognito. Yeah, we don't know why. There, there are ways that Jesus shows up and people don't recognize him afterwards. Um, but I love their question. 
right? I love their question. What are you guys talking about? Are you the only one in Jerusalem, right? <laughs> and when we see it from the other side, it's humorous to hear that, that question. Uh, but they're feeling it. Isn't that how often I think we treat God when we're going through a hard time? It feels like he just disappears, right? He disappears. God, are you the only one in the universe who doesn't understand my situation? Why is it you're gone when I need you the most? I talked with somebody this week, um, his mother-in-law, who was very close to, the whole family was close to, um, she passed away. And so just when they're starting to be able to grieve for that, um, he's a minister, and so he did the funeral. And right after that, the father-in-law, her husband, just had, uh, just kind of broke down. And they took him in for three weeks, and he was completely unfunctionable. I mean, he could barely eat, didn't take care of himself, all of these things. And any effort they did to try to help him, nothing happened. And he was kind of belligerent even, so it was a little hard. So in the midst of that trying to grieve, they're also dealing with this situation. They're trying so hard to love, and nothing's coming back. It's just all getting crushed. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he shared a long time about this story, and um, at one point he just kind of reached his limits, felt helpless and alone, and just wondering, God, why don't you do something here, right? There was just that kind of exclamation, like, why can't you change this situation? I wonder what pain we're holding in our hearts this morning. All of us have it. We all have some reason or another that causes us to question, why can't life be the way it should be, right? And it may be difficult to see him. Jesus is showing here that actually, even though we can't see him, he's right alongside with us, Mm -hmm. right? There's something about the way he shows up to these disciples that's pretty remarkable, that he actually hides. He hides in the midst of their deepest grief. It seems counterintuitive, but when you see the whole story, you realize he's taking them on a journey Mm -hmm. to get somewhere. And where they get in the end is pretty significant. What strikes me, too, about what Jesus does is he invites them to tell their story. And I wonder if that's just something that we can do. In the midst of wondering often when God seems absent, I think God wants us to tell our story to him. That might be what our prayer looks like when we're in pain. It's not necessarily, uh, here's the answer, it's more, this is what I'm going through, right? Treat me as I am. One of the nice things about this man who shared his story was he got to share his story. Like he just, at the end, he just said, Will, thank you. I just needed somebody that I could say all of this to that wasn't Mm -hmm. embroiled in the whole situation, right? right? And by doing that, he actually sensed, like, I just just lifted my heart in prayer to God. I wonder if Jesus' question and these disciples telling their story actually helped to create a little bit more room in their hearts for Jesus, even though they didn't know he was right there. So the first thing that often crowds out space is just the grief itself, like experiencing something dissonant in our life. The second thing I think that these folks experience, that we do too, is when we hold on to a certain narrative of the way things should be that may not be the same narrative that God's holding. Right. Right. It's so easy to go there. Um, I I think every night this happens to me, right? So I have a vision (laughs) about how it's going to go with my son Miles between after dinner and bedtime. 
and I hold that vision in my head, and it never happens the way my vision is experiencing it. Always something gets in the way. And if I hold strongly to my old narrative in that, I'll get angry, yeah. right? I'll get kind of belligerent, I'll be impatient, I'll de make demands, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it just throws me off. There's no space in my place, in my heart at that point for Miles, necessarily, or for God, right? I'm not praying very well or, or experiencing God's love. I think that's the same thing with these folks, right? They had a vision of how things were supposed to go and it just got just completely destroyed. Um, their Messiah just died. And when Jesus died, that narrative was challenged to the core. But they didn't let go of the narrative. So while they were walking along, they were reinforcing the narrative one with another. And so it's right in that spot, Jesus says, in a sense, I'm going to show up to these guys. Mm. He knows what's going on. And he shows up and invites them again to share their narrative and then confronts them, right? You foolish people. It's not um, that foolish, that word foolish is not like a, a kind of crushing blow to them. Instead, it's kind of exposing, like, oh, you don't get it. It's more like saying that, like, oh, don't you see, right? Yeah. Um, the Proverbs are full of that, right? The fool does this, but the wise, like, he's aiming to kind of catch that, like, you guys are going down this road. Flip it around, come over on this road, and you will see what's happening. I think that's true for us, too, right? Uh, we hold narratives in our hearts, especially when we're experiencing hard times. Um, we think, this is what God should do. This is the way life should be. And sometimes we hold these so strongly that it crowds out the voice of God in us. What would it look like if we could open ourselves up instead and say, God, what are you doing? With my friend again, um, after we had spoken, um, we just created a little space for prayer, and he took his story to God. And he noticed the story he was telling himself was simply that the father-in-law should completely respect his love and care for him and respond accordingly, right? And be grateful. And, and be grateful, yeah, absolutely, right? And when that wasn't happening, he just, like, the, the resentment and the bitterness was growing inside of him. And so as he sat with God in prayer, God opened his heart and basically said, didn't my son go through the same thing with you mm -hmm. and with us, you know, all of us? Um, and that just, that changed his narrative and his and from that point on, it formed a new story in him, right, that enabled him to sit even with the belligerence of his father-in-law and have compassion. And he, he released himself from expecting anything in return, and he found himself to be free, to be able to care, uh, which was diminishing in his life. So what stories do we hold in our hearts about God this morning that might crowd out the way God wants to meet us and tell us his story? I think we know God's story in the same way these two did by the burning in our hearts. It catches something in us, and we know it. It's hard to describe. But when God, like with my friend, when God reached down to God, he's like, yeah, I know, I know, right? <laughs> and it's like a correction, it might be a rebuke, it might be an encouragement, but whatever it is, there's something that goes on in our heart that, Amen. that's God. That's not me making the story up mm -hmm. anymore. This is God doing it. So in the midst of our grief, we can share our story and know Jesus is close. In the midst of our narratives that go along with that grief, we can allow 
Jesus to come in and shape that narrative. And then the last thing that happens is where they actually do make space. They still don't know this is Jesus walking with them. But something's happened in their encounter that when they go on, and he's feigning to go on down the road, and they're at their home, they invite him in. That's all they do. They simply invite him in. And he takes charge from that point on. It's almost as if Jesus knew, like, if I go and they don't invite me in, they're going to be left with an interesting experience with no interpretation. Mm -hmm. But if they invite me in, that's the sign, right? That's the sign. And then he gives it everything. Right? Um, he reclines at the table. This is just, it's a mirror of the last supper. He reclines at the table. He takes the place on the table to bless the food. So they should have been in that place. He actually kind of takes that place which might have caused them to be like, wow, what's this guy doing? <laughs> they take another place, he breaks the bread and blesses it, and their eyes are opened. So, uh, there's a painting by Carrie Richards, a British um, artist, that this was commissioned, I think it's in Oxford, but this is a scene of the moment that that happened. And it's a modern picture, but it's kind of beautiful in the details. Um, if you look in the background, uh, there's a yellow, bright, bright yellow. Is it yellow? It's the cross. Okay, I'm colorblind. Sorry, that could be green, and I'd be like off. So. Okay, a yellow cross, um, and the the vertical is the light coming through the window. And look at the clothing he's wearing. He's starting to disappear, right? And then the the horizontal is the table where the cup and the bread are. If you look at the person on the right, um, they're still in prayer, blessing the meal. And it's just like, the eyes are open though, it's almost like just starting to hit. Where the person in the foreground, like just the contortion, the, you know, where their feet are, the head, the body, like he's jumping out of his seat. Like this, it's just catching, you can feel the emotion. What's striking in this picture too though, is the size of their hands and feet. And it's meant to draw our attention to Jesus' hand, which has this, a wound on it and his foot underneath the table which has a wound on it mm -hmm. that Jesus is revealing himself to these guys as the very one that they saw die that is now sitting there eating with them right when they catch this he disappears oh man I don't know I don't know what I would have done with that experience yeah I mean they are changed forever they're changed forever. And again, all they did was invite him into their house. Mm -hmm. But look what happens to their grief and to their narrative, right? It's like their grief cannot be held anymore. It's like destroyed. Just like the cross looked like it destroyed Jesus. And their story now is completely different because Jesus told them another story and then gave them the experience of another story. Mm -hmm. Their grief is redefined, their stories reimagined. And then it says, within the hour, they, they go back. back to Jerusalem. Their yeah. journey is reversed. Do you think they'll ever see their pain or their story the same again? No. No. All they did, again, was make space. Jesus did the rest to take care of their grief and their story. 
He, from the very beginning, was discipling them in their grief and in their narrative when they thought he was gone. I think that's a beautiful picture. Like, that's the faith of Easter that we're invited into in all of our stories, Mm -hmm. is that God is supremely present, wants to be with us in the midst of our grief, and will redefine our story as we let him. It's not easy. It's not easy. No way. And I think that's why this story is so powerful. It's a beautiful story that I think just captures us right in our humanity. So three things, again, that come out of this. I think one is tell, tell your story to Jesus. Second one, I think, is to be open to the questions Jesus asks and the story he wants to tell. And then the third thing is just offering ourselves with hospitality. And that might be to the complete stranger. But notice what's going on in the story. And I think this is part of the beautiful thing. This is the perspective of Jesus in the midst of our pain. He plays with them. Huh? Jesus is playing with these guys. He is alive. He knows it. He knows the whole story. He's walking alongside these guys like, what thing? In the midst of them saying, are you the only one in Jerusalem? Like, yeah, no, I was there, guys, right? He could have come out and said a lot of that. Instead, he, he, he waits. Sure. Instead, <laughs> he waits. <laughs> Did you hear the Holy Spirit? <laughs> no, we heard that last year, bro. Even technology's moved. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that was great. Thank you to God. I think often in that gap between kind of our pain and seeing God's perspective. We don't see that as play. That's really hard. But Jesus is not being mean, insensitive, unkind. Mm-mm. No. He wants to bring them to the resurrection. Exactly. The resurrection is so hard for us to grasp because death defines our existence right. in sin, right? Jesus, that's not true anymore. Right. That is not true. As Jesus, the one human being, who is the human being, who is the new Adam, who goes before us and is redefining our story, redefines it with resurrection. Amen. Not with death. Amen. Not with death. Death has lost its sting. Suffering is weightless compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. Our wounds will be healed. Injustices will be righted. And the creation will celebrate one day the revelation of God's kids Amen. who become like the Son of God. Amen. Yes. That's the story of the resurrection in the midst of our experience of death and pain. Whatever your story is today, I pray that you can make space for this Jesus in your story and allow him to walk alongside with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the scripture, for the power it has, and I pray that today your story might take hold in our life in deep and powerful ways. In Jesus' name, amen.